Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a thousand miles. This Ben Jarofsky show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, October 9th, 2020. But of course, you can be listening anytime. Uh, if you're listening 20 years from now, I'll tell you what the headline is. Uh, today, Chicago Tribune. Six charged in plot to kidnap governor. Seven others accused in Michigan of allegedly seeking, quote, civil war. Dudes have lost their mind. They were plotting to apparently to kidnap Governor Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer. Because how dare her? How dare she? To try to implement some uh, policies to protect people from the virus. Uh, that's on my mind as I turn my attention to my guest, my distinguished guest. And as I do with all bonus guests, I ask my guest, introduce yourself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, Ben, it's Peter Cunningham, your old friend. Um, uh, it's an honor to be here. It's always a thrill to catch up with you and talk and talk about politics talk about the city we both know and love and find something to argue about. <laughs> well, you and I are, uh, this is really remarkable folks. Peter Cunningham, I've known him for over 20 years. Uh, back in the day, as you know, he's been on the show many times. Uh, he was a speech writer for Mayor Daly. If Mayor Daly said anything uh, remotely uh, uh, logical, uh, it was because he was reading Peter's script. Uh, that's Ben speaking, not Peter. Peter's right now texting daily. I didn't say that. Uh, and he was also a uh, spokesperson for Arnie Duncan when uh, Arnie was the CEO of the public schools and uh, secretary of education. And uh, we usually have on opposite sides of things, uh, local democratic politics. But boy, do we see eye to eye on uh, national politics at the moment. And I got to tell you, Peter Cunningham has been moving left, left, left. He's been liberated. Uh, Pete, the last thing you sent me, which I, I want to talk about, has to do with the issue of policing. Very powerful email that you sent me last week. Uh, and um, I'm going to call it up right now. It talks, we're going to talk about policing, the city budget, and the whole notion uh, that maybe Chicago... I don't want to use the term defund the police, Peter, every time I mention that. Yeah, I don't use that term either, Ben. I, I think it's reimagining, rethinking the role, rethinking their role, and re, redirecting some of the $1.7 billion that we currently spend to have one of the largest police forces in the country into things that actually prevent crime rather than, uh, you know, the system we have today, which, you know, most people may not understand this, but... Police don't really prevent very many crimes. What they do is they investigate a lot of them after the fact. They make arrests. Sometimes they even arrest the right person, and that's great. Um, but for the most part, they don't prevent them. And, you know, you see in Chicago today, uh, you know, just a staggering number of shootings. And it's been that way for 50 years now. We haven't had under 400 homicides since 1965. Hmm. And, um, you know, some other cities around the country have really done a good job of reducing violence. 
and when you try and ask why, uh, it's because they try and do things differently. You know, they use data, they partner with community groups, they're serious about community policing, uh, you know, and but Chicago's got some unique problems too. So anyway, we'll get into the the wider political context of it all. Let's just start with this first point that you made uh, in uh, this email that you sent to me: city budget survey, and uh, nearly forty thousand Chicago residents filled out an online budget survey. And in every section of Chicago, the public overwhelmingly supports shifting resources from policing to community service to address mental health, homelessness, youth crime, and gun violence. I'm a big believer in spending more money on all the things that you put in that uh, sentence, Peter, uh, let me ask you this. Is it, do you believe, how deep do you think that commitment these 40,000 Chicago residents have uh, to redistributing the money? Or do you think it's the way that question was phrased to them in the poll? Go ahead. You know, I fully uh, concede that it's not a scientific survey. Um, The kinds of folks who would choose to fill out a city budget survey may uh, tilt in a certain direction. It's even possible that a bunch of community groups got together and said, let's, let's, uh, let's juice this uh, survey and so that it comes out and says what we want to say. All I know is I'm involved in the violence prevention community and we didn't do it. Uh, and yet the results are overwhelming. There are 10 categories of public service day list that need more resources and policing ranked dead last while community services, public health, infrastructure, all ranked way, way above it. When asked how they would allocate this new revenues, where would we find this new revenues? Just 6%, what would, what would we do if we had new revenues, they asked? Just 6% went to policing, while 22% went into the community services that you mentioned, homelessness, mental health, you know, and gun violence outreach, and about 21% went into public health. So the findings were overwhelming. So I, 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 I think that... You shouldn't look at them as um, a scientific poll, but you should look at them as a directional truth. I think directionally they were telling us something. All right. You've been around Chicago a long time politically. You've worked in political campaigns and you've worked in City Hall. I've never seen any mayor. I think I'm thinking going all back to uh, Mike Blandick and uh, Richard J. Dale. I go back a long time. I've never heard a mayor talk about Eat not forget defunding, redistributing, redirecting, spending yeah. money elsewhere than the police department. It's always been a promise. Right. There's no, two I promises mean, they, that they make. We're not going to raise your property taxes, which they lie about, right. and we're going to add police. This right. goes against law and order, law and order, law and order. I mean, I understand it's politically difficult. And l- let me be really clear. I don't have even the slightest notion that people do not want policing in their neighborhoods. They want policing, but they really are beginning to, I think, understand the fact that if you want to stop gun violence and if you want to make communities safer, you have to look at different methods of doing that. And in the case of what we do, you know, we hire guys. Most of them have, you know, criminal backgrounds or, you know, were involved in street life. Uh, you know, they've grown up a bit. There's, you know, they have kids now, they have families, they have rent to pay, and they want to change their ways. They want a job. They can't get a job. We give them a job. And they go right back out to the guys they knew. They put down their gun and they talk to them and they find out that they're pissed off about something and they're thinking about, you know, taking action to get somebody or other. And we get them to put down the gun. And then we recruit them into these programs. And it doesn't work perfectly everywhere. Some of them go back to the life. Some of them can't handle the pressure of a job. But a bunch of them stay down. And, you know, that's how you prevent violence. 
you know, you can have all the police in the world, but unless they're going to be everywhere at all times and do what we do, actually engaging with the guys who are the shooters, they're not going to, they're not going to reduce that number. All they're going to do is basically arrest people. And, uh, you know, that's part of the solution. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to imply that I don't believe we shouldn't be arresting shooters. I do. I just think that if we want to reduce gun violence, you got to, interact directly with the people who are most likely to shoot and be shot. Mm. And that's what we do. Yeah. And the rhetoric is so strong in the other direction. Uh, Peter, there was a a commercial that just came out uh, from Pat O'Brien, who is running against Kim Fox for state's attorney. I I thought it was disgusting. I ripped it on the show. What do you call it? Uh, Pro-crime or something? Pro-crime. Save Chicago. He said, save. She, it was like, Bernie, you weren't here for the, the Harold Washington election. It was Bernie Epton uh, before it's too late. Elect Bernie Epton before. I was like, this rhetoric is so old, Peter. Well, but it's, it's happening from Trump, too. It's happening everywhere. It's an, it's an old standard. You can always go back to it. And for a certain percentage of the electorate, it's going to work every time. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's disgraceful. I mean, uh, you know, I support Kim Fox. I think what she's doing is the right thing. She's trying to reform a system that she knows is broken and has led to a lot of injustices, and including a number of them uh, from Pat O'Brien, who uh, put a bunch of guys in jail who turned out to be innocent. So everybody's got to own up to their mistakes. And, you know, she's not perfect either. She knows that. She's admitted that. Um, but, you know, directionally, she's taking things in the right direction. You look around this state. Here you got... An African-American woman running the county, overseeing, you know, which oversees the jail system. Of course, you have a sheriff. You have an African-American woman running the city of Chicago, an African-American woman, a state's attorney, African-American lieutenant governor. I mean, you have leadership all across this state, women of color. That's that's like a first in in our region and maybe a first in America, maybe unique in America. And I would love to see them come together, unite and Really, really take on the criminal justice system in a way that no, no city and no state and no county has done in the whole country. I mean, no one's really done this the way they should, you know, to really from top to bottom, from policing to prosecutions, to incarceration, to probation, to reentry. No one's really taken on that whole system and said, we're going to start reforming this and we're not going to stop. And by the way, if you actually did this, if you actually invested in violence prevention, if you actually invested much more in ensuring that these shootings didn't happen, you would save billions of dollars. Uh, we did an analysis and added up the cost of gun violence. When every murder costs about a million and a half dollars, when you add in all, all the police activity and all the police um, investigations and the imprisonment and incarceration, et cetera, every shooting, non, non-fatal shooting costs up about a million because of health care costs for the person, as well as the policing and prosecutions and, uh, you know, incarceration. So in, in a city like Chicago with two or three thousand shootings, that's two or three billion dollars. Uh, in a city with 500 murders, that's, you know, seven hundred fifty million dollars. So reducing shootings will dramatically save money. And that's money that we can reinvest in communities. And, uh, you know, we're just hoping that elected officials at every level just start to see that and realize that, uh, you know, policing is not the only strategy. Uh, I, I understand exactly the point that you were making uh, about the money saved. I, I always um, hesitate to make that argument I because uh, it reminds me of the argument that was made uh, back in the days, really early days when I'd be 
trying to get people to uh, join my crusade uh, to legalize marijuana. And so one of the arguments that used was that, well, you know, we're going to save money uh, because it won't cost us money, money to prosecute or incarcerate. And I always thought, well, I understand why you're doing it from a political purpose, but I would think that the, the the point to emphasize is that you're just locking up all these people unfairly for an activity that pretty much everybody, no matter, regardless of their race or background does. Uh, and yet, but your point's well taken, Peter. If you can make like, well, this impacts you because you're going to pay more in taxes than somebody may think. That may be the first step, Peter. Right. But if you just, uh, again, if, if you position... All this law and order talk, frankly, as a tax, as a as a a, a government waste. Okay, fifty percent of it, eighty percent of it is wasted. So here's another statistic that's interesting: only five percent of a police officer's time, according to national studies, is spent on violent crime. Ninety-five percent of it is spent on either nonviolent crime or non-criminal activity. A huge percentage of it is non-criminal activity. You know. Traffic enforcement is about a third of their time. Noise complaints, you know, just handling all kinds of things. And then you think of all the things that they're asked to do that they're really not qualified to do. You had a mental health incident happening. What is a cop going to do about it, right? He, he's, he's just going to try and make sure the guy doesn't hurt himself. And, and again, I'm not here to beat up on cops. I mean, they're, they're, you know, many of them are terrific professionals who do their job with integrity. But, I mean, what is he really going to do when you ask him to go deal with a homeless guy? There's a homeless guy in the street. Now, what's he going to do? He, he, he can arrest him, right? He can sort of just scare him and tell him to go away. Or he, he can't get him a house. That's not his job. He can't find him a, a, a shelter. That's not his job. So why do we send cops to deal with homeless people? doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense uh, at all. And that's the system that we have. By the way, since uh, you've launched this initiative, have you heard from police officers, individual Chicago police officers who just speak to you privately and talk about the issue? We have. I heard from some. I'll be honest, I don't connect with them directly myself a lot. A lot of people we work with do. And I've certainly heard a lot of police officers uh, agree uh, that we're at, they're asked to do too many things that society just asks cops to deal with all kinds of problems they don't want to deal with. Okay. You know, school safety issues, for example, you know, why, why do we criminalize these kids who are in, you know, Chicago public schools? Uh, are we really unable to handle, handle these kids with, you know, either school security officers or adults or their parents? Um, so I've certainly heard plenty of cops say that. And I really believe that police would welcome this conversation if it was done safely. And I think the place to start is not with just money, but invariably it always ends up about money. But start with what their role is. What are they trained to do? What are they good at? What are the statistics show they actually are good at? And I don't really know the answer. I, you know, in, in Chicago, they're not very good at investigating murders. Our clearance rate is very low. But I think that's because it's not that they don't know how to do their job. It's that the trust level is so low, uh, in, in, especially in the African-American community, that no one will cooperate with them. And, you know, they have a long history of, as you know, torturing people and abusing people and arresting the wrong people. And as a result, uh, people feel that uh, they can't trust them. And that in itself then feeds the violence cycle because now people look to street justice. Okay, if only one in five guys who commits a murder gets arrested, then you know what? And only one in 20 guys who does a shooting gets arrested. 
Well, that's going to lead to more and more retaliation. And that's what our guys try and intervene with. They call these guys up. They got their numbers. They know them. They know their moms. They know their parents. They know their older brothers. They maybe knew them directly themselves, you know, and they intervene and say, wait, 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 before you go back out there and shoot this guy, think about this, think about what it means. Let's stop it. They monitor social media. And I just think that we need to, we, we, we invested in a neighborhood called Roseland on the South side. And we're in there for pretty deeply Chicago cred that is, which is the organization I work with this year, homicides in Roseland are down 33% in the city. They're up 50%. So something's going right in Roseland and we don't pretend it's just because of us, but something is going right there. And we think that if we took, what we're doing in Roseland to scale in at least 15 neighborhoods where violence is a big problem, we're pretty sure it would have an impact. And what's the city's response, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's response to your initiatives? You know, um, she is um, uh, uh, very supportive, at least on paper. They just put out a big citywide report called, you know, Chicago's Violence Prevention Plan. I forget what the actual title of it was called, but it came out about two weeks ago. And it's filled with language about um, violence prevention programs and about the need to rethink the role of police and about the importance of investing in community services and about all the, everything I'm saying, all that language is in there, but there's no financial commitment. And what we've said is, well, listen, Sun-Times reported that there are 847 vacancies in the Chicago Police Department right now. And we understand you have huge budget problems, but if we took the, you know, e each one of those positions probably generates uh, $150,000 to $200,000 per year in costs, you know, between salary and benefits. And if you just threw attrition, if you just left a bunch of seats, a, a bunch of positions empty, you could redirect 40, 60, 80 million dollars a year into violence prevention. If you did it three years in a row, five years in a row, be several hundred million dollars, not just into violence prevention, but mental health, youth crime. And so maybe our department would shrink from 13,000 to 10,000 or 11,000, which would still be one of the larger police departments in America uh, on a per capita basis. Uh, and we would have agreed that police don't have to do all these things. So they, have a, they would have a smaller footprint and they would be more able to focus on violent crime instead of dealing with a lot of other stuff. And we would have the money. The money's right there in the police department. Uh, it's not gonna be somewhere else. But what we get typically in, in, in government is, all right, we'll find a little new money. We'll stick it over here, we'll give it to you. <laughs> we'll continue to fund the big tuna the same way we've always funded it. And that's the thinking that has to change. And so far we haven't seen that. Well, part of the reason uh, that that thinking is slow to change, and you know this better than, uh, than anybody because uh, you've been in city, but part of the, th the thinking is the, the brushback. Of the oh, yeah. uh, as soon as you start talking this way, as soon as you start talking about not filling police vacancies, uh, hiring more police, you're going to get it. You're soft on crime. You're weak on crime. You, you're uh, the Trump will go so far as to call you a looter. Right. No, Trump will do it. And, then, you know, we have aldermen who are ex police officers and they've raised a stink every time you talk about trimming police. Uh, but, you know, uh, I got a call from none other than Ed Burke who's someone I've known for a long time, who's a former police officer. You know Ed Burke, don't you? You know who he is, don't you? Uh, yeah, and that would be Alderman Ed Burke, 14th Ward? Yeah, that Ed Burke? Okay, I, yeah, I, go ahead, Peter. <laughs> I had put a piece in, I had written an article in the Sun-Times saying, do we ask too much of police? 
Yeah. And it was explicitly making this argument that we do ask too much and that we could ask less of them. We could have fewer of them. We could reinvest the savings into other things. And not only would we be safer, but everybody be happier. And he called me up and said it was a good piece, and he agreed with me. We asked too much of police. So, you know, you got to build public will for this stuff. And, um, you know, it kind of gets back to, um, you know, the way you introduced me as someone who's moving to the left over time. I mean, from a policy standpoint, I believe in uh, in many, many, many progressive ideas that uh, that I know you stand for and support. Uh, but what I believe also is that the challenge is to build public will for it. You know, I love the new Green New Deal, but un unless we learn how to sell that and convince middle America, Midwest, even coal mining country, that this is in their interest, that those jobs that we're going to get rid of in the coal mines are going to turn into jobs and windmills, and your kids and your communities are going to last, we're going to lose. So you have to build public will for this. And that's why I say we should have this conversation with cops. I think they'd welcome it. If we oh, I I'm with you 100%. Uh, by the way, I just want to say one thing. I used to tease Peter Cunningham uh, back in the 90s that his role uh, as Mayor Daley's uh, press secretary or one of his press secretaries was to deal with malcontents like me. And, uh, <laughs> and now it's he's diversified his portfolio. He's the only person in the city of Chicago who can claim in the year 2020, that he had conversations with Ben Jarofsky and Ed Burke. I don't believe there's anybody else in the whole That's city. Right there. That, that <laughs> totally puts me in a class of one. Unbelievable. In fact, you might even say the 21st century. I don't know if there's anybody else. No, there's got to be an alderman who's had a conversation. Actually, I'm going to think about Raylo who comes on my show all the time. All right. Uh, let's. All right, now we're going to broaden it because you're absolutely built selling it. Building public will. I watched the, this has been on my mind, Peter. I told you this before we came on the air. Uh, I watched the presidential debate, which you can hardly call it a debate. I watched the vice presidential debate. You can hardly call that a debate. But in each instance, what Trump and Pence did when they were uh, dealing with Biden and Kamala Harris was to take a core program that the left loves, like the Green New Deal. Yep. Uh, and use it as a dog whistle to rally uh, their voters against the Democrats. And I watched Biden and Kamala Harris retreat from, instead of defending, it reminded me of Dukakis. I go back in time, Peter, you were just a lad, probably in grammar school. Michael Dukakis on the stage. I'm just teasing. Michael Dukakis on the stage in 1988. Yeah. George Bush called him a card-carrying member of the ACLU. And yeah. instead of defending the ACLU, he's like, habita, habita, habita. Instead, yeah, yeah, yeah. take a freaking stand. I Listen, I agree. You know, um, I'm going to say something here that I know is going to shock you, but uh, I'll just say it anyway. And that is that um, all Democrats are not perfect. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Yeah, Come on, man, that's too easy. I'm glad you're sitting down. But listen, you know, um, we're in the last six weeks of a of an election that most of us believe is is so terrifyingly important that you know, obviously, the Biden campaign has succeeded by playing it kind of safe, right? Let's be honest. Truth is, their policies are pretty progressive. Most people now have read them and they've looked at what they're doing on labor. They've looked at what they're doing on the environment. They've looked at what they're doing to raise taxes on the rich. And, you know, if, 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 if you're hyper progressive 
Ben Jaransky progressive is at 10. I'd say Joe Biden's definitely in the 7-8 range. Um, but that said, uh, you know, I I don't quite agree with you on, on that. Yes, I know Biden said, I don't support the Green New Deal, and I thought that was poorly worded. What he should have said is, I looked at the Green New Deal, and I took the best, the best pieces of it that I believe I can pass, and I've created what I think is an excellent, excellent alternative that is very consistent with the goals of the Green New Deal. That's what he should have said. That's not what he said, right? Uh, I don't think, I mean, what did Harris back off on? She backed off on Medicare for All, which she, she had already abandoned. She had already backed. It, it, it's, um, it's not so much the back off. It's, it's just not rising to the. Uh, it's rise. not rising to defend the core principle that's at stake. It's yeah, not I mean, pointing out that, yeah. y- y- you know, you're distorting what I view. And uh, there's a. It's it's like the. You notice how our conversation began, uh, where you said, "Don't talk about defunding the police. Talk what? What was the word you redistributing? Reimagining. Reimagining." Yeah, yeah. So it's a. You substituted one word for another, but then you went on to articulate a belief that supported a core value, which is that we shouldn't be using police for tasks that they're not uh, trained to handle. We shouldn't constantly uh, depend on police for uh, to fill a role that they have not adequately done in all these years. And instead, we should do these alternatives. Well, those alternatives would be turned into a debate stage into giving money to criminals, funding right, thugs. Crime, crime, pro-crime. Is that what it, yeah. uh, what's his name called? It? O'Brien? Yeah. <laughs> pro-crime. P. Cunningham wants you to give money to those looters who race through the Gold Coast and smash windows. That's what Peter, soft on crime, Cunningham wants. So what do you say, Peter, when they, when they say that to you? How do you I respond? Say, I, I mean, what I would say, if I was running for office on a platform like this, is I would say that this is about public safety. And public safety uh, is not the responsibility only of police. And in fact, the problem is, is that we've made it only the responsibility of police. And as a result, we're not safe because police can't guarantee our safety. And until we recognize that, realize what their role is, what they are actually good at, what they are good for, and and uh, adjust accordingly, we're not going to be safe. So all you law and order demagogues out there actually don't understand law and order. The only thing you understand is how to lie and how to exaggerate and how to mislead. Because lo- real law and order is the absence of crime, okay? it's not You can't arrest your way out of it. That's what I would say. Uh, here, I'm voting for PC, Peter Cunningham. By the way, I, I, before we, I'm going to go uh, talk about the election, but before I abandon this, I just have to point out, uh, and I always take this opportunity to say this, not that anybody in the Fraternal Order Police ever listens to a word I say. I think I have greater inf- uh, influence with Richard Daly when I had none that I do with the Fraternal Order Police. But why the police officers of Chicago would support a union that is 100% in the corner of Donald John Trump, a man who's reviled by the overwhelming number of citizens in Chicago. Peter, I do not understand that as a political strategy or a tactic. But you and I don't understand why Trump won in the first place, do we? And yet he did. And well, I, no, I do understand why. He, first of all, he did not win. 
Okay, fair he, enough. Why, well, he, he, he won the election. He was, he was allowed to take control of the White House because we have this corrupt, antediluvian, pro-slavery mechanism called the Electoral College. But he did not win. I okay. just want to point that out. I, like, yeah, I, I retract the word win. Retract the word win. If he the definitely the most if, electoral college votes. If football, he got sixty-three were, million votes. So why did he get sixty-three million? Yes. Votes? Why did he get? He got sixty-five and a half million. Yes. Why did he get them? I don't know. You. I, I thought you were going to answer the question once you asked it. I think he got them because there's a lot of pissed off people, and he channeled their anger. Now that, that it's not legitimate. He's a, he's an illegitimate spokesman. He's a con man, but. You know, if, if uh, somebody walks up to you and says, I'm mad, and the next guy, and two, two guys are standing there, and one guy says, don't be mad, and the other one says, I get it, you're mad, he's going to vote for that guy. And that's what, that's what he did. He, he connected with people who, uh, who, who feel, frankly, left behind in the economy, feel left behind in, in, in the culture. For, not necessarily for legitimate reasons, but they do. They feel well, that way. And he connected with them. I, I hear what you're saying. And, and, and to go back to the imperfections of the Democratic Party, uh, we um, we stopped saying that. We stopped talking about your average Joe. And I, I, I know this sounds so trite and tiresome, but, you know, that's who we need to become. We need to be the party that still measures success by. And, and I thought Kamala Harris did a fabulous job saying this that still measures success by how working families and working people are doing. If we just always said to ourselves, how's Joe Sixpack? And, and that doesn't mean just black, white Joe Sixpack, black Joe Sixpack, Latino Joe Sixpack. How are they doing? Because we know that professional Joe is doing fine, okay? And we know that poor, poor, poor Joe is not doing fine and needs help. But the bottom line is you gotta ask yourself, how's your average Joe doing? And if he's not doing that well, and, and you're not speaking to it, you're out of touch. I mean, I just really believe we gotta, we got to be the party of the middle class. we got to be the party of, of, of regular people. And it's got to play right here in the Midwest because this is the swing district of America. And there's a Midwest in every state, by the way. There's, there's, a, there's a, you know, a, 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 you know working class towns in California like Stockton, okay? There's working class towns in upstate New York, you know, like Utica and Troy, places that, you know, just need – just need a job and a, and, a, and a chance to have the American dream, you know, and that's that's the, that's what the Democratic Party ought to be about, in my opinion. And maybe that's I, why Joe's that maybe that's why Joe's winning, because he actually speaks that language. He talks about it. He's not faking it. All right. Let's uh, let's sh- uh, shift, uh, get a little political talk out of you uh, and leave uh, policing behind for the moment. Uh, you'll be back to talk about that. I know it's not going anywhere. No, uh, it uh, and there's going to be a fight, uh, just a political battle, uh, you know, in, in Chicago to try to force the city to fund the kind of programs you're talking about and not yeah. put too much money in the hands of the police department. We saw it uh, with the schools. It's ridiculous that the public schools are paying for police officers. Right. Uh, it's crazy. It's it's, it's it's crazy and and, and yeah okay but, but I just want to say that I don't if a school decides it wants to have a police officer in its building and it's just the principal and the teachers and the students and the parents say it's good I'm fine but the school am, shouldn't be paying for it the police department should be paying for it I, come on or if, if the city decides that the only way we can keep keep kids safe is with armed police officers, sworn officers, we can't, you know, then, then yes, it's a, it's a public safety problem and the police ought to, department ought to pay for it. I don't think it is the only way to keep them safe. 
So anyway. All right. Let's uh, move on to the presidential election. I've never I told you this before briefly. Uh, I've been following obsessively following politics for a long, long time. I've never seen anybody is uh, in a position of power like Donald Trump, so high, so much power, so unhinged. I've seen Mayor Daley lose his temper and yell at reporters, okay, or, you know, and get red, but he, he always comes down to earth, <laughs> you know. Peter, this is nonstop insanity from the President of the United States. Now, I don't know, the, the news broke before I uh, we started this conversation that he's going to have a rally at the White House tomorrow. I don't know if you saw this. He's going to be at no, the balcony. No, His no. favorite balcony. He's like thinks he's Romeo and Juliet. It's like he's going to no. He call thinks out. he's Mussolini. He thinks yeah, he's Mussolini. Mussolini. That's that's who he thinks he is. Um, what do you make of this, Peter? You know, um, there's no question in my mind that he is a completely deranged human being, and uh, I often thought it. Um, but I never realized just how deranged he could be. He is a completely deranged human being. Uh, that doesn't mean he is shrewd, clever, and dangerously, uh, you know, destructive. But he, I think he's deranged. I think he is. He has. He is so completely comfortable uh, making up whatever he wants to make up in order to reinforce his story. That uh, that I, I've never seen anybody so fluidly and effortlessly lie. Uh, you know, most people when they lie, they start looking to their left, they start looking up in the air, uh, and they get mixed up the next time you come back to it. And you know, before you know it, the lie's been exposed, and they run away with their tail between their legs. This guy does it so much, so effortlessly, so relentlessly uh, that it's 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 like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, and he is, he's a dangerous guy. I mean, I mean, what happened in Michigan, you, uh, you mentioned that earlier. I mean, what happened in Michigan is so beyond the pale of anything we've seen in our, in our, in our politics. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. I've certainly heard about assassinations. I've heard about small conspiracies to do things. And, you know, we still assume that, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't the only one involved in the Kennedy assassination, but, uh, it, it, this is so crazy. And the fact that he actually doesn't even have the decency to stand up and denounce it is beyond anything we've ever seen. Uh, so there are no superlatives really to to, to fully capture the, the madness that we're in right now. Well, I've always uh, stated this is my fundamental belief uh, that shows my uh, idealism and uh, some might say uh, naivete that even with our crazy electoral system, I always put it this way, a majority of voters in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania will not vote to send this guy back, that they will have said, this is too insane. And I, I've just believed that from the get-go, actually, uh, Peter. Uh, even when the economy was riding relatively high, and I remember you would come on the show and you would say, if he only had an infrastructure program, he'd be uh, reelected. He'd be coasting, yeah. coasting be co- to uh, to victory, right? Well, I, I don't know about – I'm not 100% sure because of COVID, but I, it baffles my mind that even the people around him didn't realize – what a uh, what a uh, you know what a, what a layup that is, and I sure hope that Joe Biden doesn't forget it uh, when he gets in there, and you know puts puts a, a big infrastructure bill, including a green one, number one on his agenda, 
because uh, that's what people will want. That's what they'll see. That's what they need. Uh, and that speaks very much to the issues that, you know, the thing I raised before. That's, you know, the middle, you, you build a road, the middle class feels that, you know, you fix a bridge, they feel that. You invest in, in, in clean energy, the whole world's going to feel it when their energy bill maybe goes down and when, you know, and when the sickness is down and everything like that because the air is clearer and et cetera. So uh, that one's a layup to me. All right, well, let me it's just call- be a lot harder for them to pass a criminal justice reform bill for all the reasons we talked before. Yeah, that is meaningful. It's, it's going to be hard. You know, they'll they'll ban chokeholds and then somebody will do it. And, uh, you know, all these bans on chokeholds, usually, at least the one in Chicago, have, have, have a, um, an exception. And the exception is the same exception cops use all the time, which is that if your life is threatened, if you think you have to do it, then OK, then you can do it. But other than that, it's banned. You know, so so basically every time a cop shoots somebody, he has to make the case that I thought my life was threatened. And, you know, I thought I saw him holding something. Yeah, it was a phone, man. OK, well, whatever. I thought it was a, I thought it was a gun. Yeah. So I think that'll be a tough one for him. Uh, you know, I think, you know, universal basic income, they talk about needing to build public will for that. We're a long way from building public will for that. And yet I I think it's an important idea as the economy changes. So uh, but no, I've never seen anything like this, Ben. So like I said, there are no superlatives to describe the behavior of the president. No, nothing. And uh, Richard Nixon, who I uh, uh, followed and read a lot about and have this uh, Private obsession over anyone more evil, right? <laughs> well, I but he did it at late at night. He'd be walking around the White House, mumbling, talking to uh, portraits on the wall, and drinking. Right. Donald Trump just does it in the public. So there's a, this is a range of lunacy that far exceeds uh, uh, Nixon. All right, we'll close it with this question: uh, Put on your political strategist hat. Uh, should Joe? bothered uh, debating Donald Trump anymore. Peter Cunningham, go. I think Joe should continue to show up at the debates. I think uh, he, 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 um, he did well. He acquitted himself well. Um, they've thrown everything at him. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and uh, it's an opportunity for him to communicate with the American people. And uh, he does it well. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't back away from a debate. Let Trump back away. Uh, but what about it? Uh, would you? Aren't you worried about him getting sick? Trump's Trump's got no. the virus. No, put up a put up a. Uh, I mean, do it virtually or put up a uh, screen or something. Or put yeah. Trump in a in a in a booth. I don't know. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> put Trump in a booth. That's a. Uh, yeah. I mean, Biden's doing interviews with people twelve feet apart. So I don't know why he can't do a debate with twelve feet apart from Trump. So. I, there's a way to protect them. That, that, that wouldn't be the reason why I would not do it. I mean, the, the, the interrupting, the disgraceful behavior is a legitimate reason for Biden to say, I don't want to do it. But I just if I was on his campaign, I'd say, hey, I, I committed to doing it. I'm sticking. I'm sticking to it. Trump is the one who's got more to lose by doing it because he's he's unhinged. And, uh, you know, he's going to blow up again. He's going to do the same thing he did. Yeah. There's no way they can rein him in. So uh, he doesn't want to rain, be reined no, in. Anyway. He's, he's unrainable. So um, I think Biden, you know, Biden wins just by showing up and being decent and uh, thoughtful. And, you know, even if he stumbles around now and then looking for his words and, you know, even even as Mike Royko described Richard J. Daly, he doesn't exit from the same paragraph that he ends. <laughs> 
you know, people, I, I, and I always said this about Richard M. Daly, who's the one I worked for. People really knew where he was, even though more, you know, guys like you and lots of others would 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 make fun about the fact that he had incomplete sentences now and then. People really knew where he was. They knew where he was. And, you know, and the proof is that he. Uh, OK, just for the way I have to inter- interrupt you, I never made fun of Richard M. Daly uh, because he stumbled in a sentence. Lord knows I stumble in a lot of sentences. I get dyslexia. I start a sentence. I I started getting confused. So I kind of empathize with Richie M. Daly. It was his power politics where he was very decisive. That's where I took my. It's those are cheap shots. Making fun of how Richie Daly talked. That's easy. You got what I'm saying? That's okay. That's it. That's easy. What are we going to do about that? I mean, what what would what would a successful politics look like? So he he, Lori got uh, uh, what was her budget passed? Thirty nine eleven, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, which 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 by by Ram and Rich's standards were was pathetic, right? You know, to them was it's either forty nine to one or or you know go hang it up. Well, that was ridiculous. I I agree. With I've you. always that's I always felt that obsession uh, that I don't know if uh, Richie Daly had as much as Ram. You would know better because you're you know both. But that obsession with that Chicago has we're in a tangent within a tangent, Peter, with that yeah. a mayor is not a real mayor until everybody is bowing down to him or her right. is a weak. It's part of the retaliation culture. That is that play when someone takes a slight and shoots somebody else. It's all part of the same thing. Power in Chicago. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, we have these, um, we have these uh, caucuses in the city council now, right? The progressive caucus. Yeah. How many people are in that? Do you know? I don't know. I think yeah. there's like 15. Yeah, right. So not enough, but I mean, maybe enough to, to, to make a point, but probably not enough to kill a budget. We have the uh, social uh, socialist ca- uh, caucus. Social Democrats. Social the Democratic Socialists. The dyslexia there. Democratic Socialists, yeah. I think they're five or six. So, you know, yeah. whatever. But, you know, to me, you know, um, the mayor's going to stand up on the 21st. She's going to offer a budget. And, and I just want to say, you know, uh, I, I am a fan of hers. You know, I'm pushing hard on this violence stuff. But she is coping with a, 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 a more challenging circumstance than any mayor in history has. And, you know, as best I can tell, none of us have been through anything like this before. But I think she's doing a pretty good job. And she's had a tough budget. And she inherited a tough budget. Uh, so... You know, anybody who expects miracles out of her, that doesn't mean we're not going to disagree on things. But all right. having said all that, yeah. having said all that, she's going to announce a budget. I'd love to see an honest, a really open, honest process to massage that budget, for them to look at this budget uh, survey that I talked about and say, well, this is what people want. Let's go out and have this conversation. And I don't know, so often, so often we just don't, you know, because people don't want it, you know. Yeah. They don't want it. Look at Springfield. Do they want a, Do they want an honest debate? Do they want an open debate? I don't think so. No. All right, Peter B. Uh, speaking of political issues, there's one more that uh, I think is going to be very interesting, which is the progressive income tax. What oh, the fair tax? Yeah. You think it's going to pass? Uh, okay. I've been, I was instructed uh, earlier today by a listener to be positive. Because okay. I've been going around saying it, it won't possibly p- pass. In order to pass, you need sixty percent. It's not just one more vote. It's even well, it's you even crazier electoral pass. You need there's two ways for it to pass. One is you need sixty percent of the people who vote on it, 
And the other is that you need 50% of all voters. So if only uh, 90% of the people vote on it, then, you know, uh, you need 60% of that 90. But uh, let's say only 50% of the people who vote on it, you need 50% of all, all voters. So it, it's complete, it's crazy math. Oh, my God. That's a, that's a curveball I hadn't even thought of. And with my dyslexia, I think I've just lost my mind. But, yeah. uh, but okay, so I've always said that it, the odds are against it because if you just look at the votes that Rauner got, mm-hmm. that would be – anti-fair uh, tax. But someone chided me, a listener chided me, said, Ben, be more positive. Um, so I'm going to beam out positivity rays. Uh, Peter, I think this is such a fundamentally important moment in Illinois politics. Uh, and I give Pritzker so much credit for advancing this. Nobody else did it. God bless Don Clark Natch. 1994, she was talking about this. Now, I know you were with uh, John Schmidt back in those days, but. That was 98, baby. Yeah, all right. But 90, okay, so it wasn't, you weren't against Don Clark Natch necessarily. No, but she was. Don Clark Natch, she was running against Jim Edgar, right? That is correct. Did she she win the nomination? She did, right? Yeah, she won the nomination on a platform calling for a progressive income tax. And she even connected it to property tax cutbacks, reform, as they call it. And Edgar ran against her as a tax and spend liberal. You know, she's going to raise your taxes. And she got swamped, Peter, swamped, okay? And so the, the amount of lying coming out of the anti-tax people who are trying to scare old uh, geezers into voting against it on the on the, on the grounds that it would raise taxes on the retirement income, which is something that's t- completely fabricated, yeah. uh, is astounding. And it's a very powerful tool. So, yeah. but having said that, I'm now, it's the new me, Peter. It's the positive me and I'm radiating positive vibrations. So it will pass. Wow. Okay. Wow. This is really something else. I'm going to start. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and look at your columns a little more closely and see if I can detect this positivity. I'm a, you know, I wonder, I wonder whether, whether they'll be as entertaining. No, I don't think positive. Uh, <laughs> no, all happy, all happy. <laughs> I, I don't. First of all, I don't believe you. Okay, uh, I don't. I don't believe it either. Um, all right, Peter, I'm gonna let you go. But tell folks if they want to get more information about Chicago Cred, where they can go, where they can find it. It's you guys are doing uh, good work. Uh, God, I don't know. I think it's called ChicagoCred.com. Let me look right now while we're talking. Great moments in podcasting here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, is that a typewriter? It sounds like a typewriter. The computer. What are you, Bob Dylan are you on a typewriter? Dylan t- writes his songs on a typewriter if you know if you knew that. Well, he did in the 60s. ChicagoCred.org. That's what it's called. ChicagoCred, C-R-E-D.org. All right, very good. Get in touch with them there. Peter P.C. Cunningham, Arnie Duncan, uh, and uh, Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll bring you back probably either right, probably right after the election, so you can help explain the utter madness uh, that we'll have to send it. All right. I look, fo- I look forward to it, Ben. All right, that's Peter Cunningham. I'm Ben Jarowski. Take care, everybody.